Hello, extempers, speech and debaters, and everybody else watching. Welcome back to the half hour. In today's episode, yeah, it's an episode, and it exists. I'm Spencer. And I'm Yu Yu. And today we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court. And it's overturning of Roe versus Wade. And it, I think for the most part, we're going to be, it's going to be a little bit more than just Roe versus Wade. From what I've at least seen on UU's background and for sure on my background, we've, we're going to touch on a few other things. The main gist of it is going to be Roe is overturned. So that's going to be our primary focus on this episode. Hooray. It's a discussion and it it kind of stinks like for both of us and we're going to do a couple housekeeping right out the gate for both of us. We are both pro-choice, so don't get mad at us in the comments if we'll try to look at it from pro-life when discussions are necessary. That is the point of our podcast is to look at it from both points of view. I'd also uh, like to like clarify, I guess it's not just Roe. It's like Roe and Casey. That's like, true. You know, just like an important detail that you should probably know about. I feel like the discussion mostly is like surrounded around Roe, but it is also overturning Casey as well. But then again, like Roe and Casey kind of go hand in hand with each other. So yeah, Roe is the precedent that started it. I kind of have to like laugh about it a little bit to kind of get over the seriousness. So if we have any like funny reactions or like laughing at any point of this video, just know we're not being insensitive. It's just processing emotions. The only appropriate reaction here is to laugh at it because it kind of like after it's the best medicine, I will use that philosophy right now. I'll defend you, you on that statement. If you don't know how this podcast works, you're new to it how we start off is maybe with a little bit of housekeeping just like we just said we're both pro-choice there's another thing we'll bring up here in a minute i will provide a little bit of background information you you will finish that off and then we will do some possible questions that extempers might have we will also do these questions in more of like a general audience kind of point of view so that that that'll be our structure and then the episode will end so without any further ado let's get into some more housekeeping for the purposes of kind of the news and kind of court rulings. I feel like extent questions are more going to lean towards the political side of it. So like Supreme court operations, what this means for Supreme court power and like authorization basically. But I will say that I like disagree a little bit with what Spencer said, just because I think in this political climate with a ruling like this, especially when it's Dobbs, and it's ruling about an already existing abortion ban in a state, it is necessarily still also a case in a ruling about abortion rights along with states' rights. But it's mainly just saying that like states can decide what they want to do in terms of abortion. It's an overstep of like the federal government in terms of like telling every single state what they can and can't do in terms of abortion rights and giving access to abortion for women and like reproductive health, basically. And also just like abortion rights to people who get pregnant. I also will say, though, that even if this is about states' rights, it is also still about abortion rights because of the nature of the case of the language that was used in the opinion and also the background of the justices that voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, which is like 
heavily based in what people are arguing is like a religious background and they personally don't like abortion. So obviously they're going to vote against it. And I feel like there is some truth to that. There's definitely like factors like background factoring into decisions that justices make. And obviously, even though justices have said that or in their confirmation hearing, they have said that they're not going to touch Roe v. Wade or like things like that because it's already been such a long precedent for like it's been a precedent for such a long time. We obviously know that that wasn't true and they kind of lied because they overturned Roe v. Wade literally a week ago from when we are recording this. So just some things to keep in mind. Yeah. And I don't think either of us, I, I don't think either of us disagree with each other necessarily. We're both saying the same thing in other words, but yeah, the truth is, is really what has happened is and what we agree with and what we know is that two things are happening at the same time. And we have to, we have to be able to understand what's going on and break that down. All right. You, you, if you have any, unless if you have any other housekeeping things, we'll just jump right into it. I'll go ahead and start with a, with an important piece of information for the background. And that is what the Supreme Court is and what it does. Because the Supreme Court is the branch of government that is least understood by the public. And most people, and the unfortunate thing is right now that most people probably have a slight understanding of what it is now. The judicial branch is not something that is talked about a lot and not something that a lot of people know. So let's explain it. The Supreme Court is established under Article 3 of the U.S. Constitution, and it basically says that the Supreme Court, quote, shall extend to all cases and law and equity arising under the Constitution, the laws of the United States and treaties made or which shall be made under this authority. Another way to phrase that is that the Supreme Court makes a decision based on the U.S. Constitution on what issues the federal government can or cannot be involved in. The Supreme Court does not make any laws. When a ruling occurs, the Supreme Court does not make anything legal or illegal. With that said, rulings like abortion, contraception, and same-sex marriage, since these are all issues that are being talked about right now with this, are not, in fact, laws. They are instead rulings on what the federal government can make decisions about. So the overturning of Roe v. Wade essentially says the federal government has no say in the right to an abortion. Instead, abortion should be decided at the state level. Now that we have a fundamental understanding of what is established by the Constitution, let's understand what it is that the Supreme Court really does. And I think the best way to start with this is to understand what the Supreme Court doesn't do. So to begin, there is an importance of understanding the right for a fair trial by the judicial process outlined in the Bill of Rights. These are the 4th, 5th, 6th, and 8th Amendments, and these rights include that there's a guarantee that no person is derived of life, liberty, or property without a due process of law. There's protection against being tried against the same crime twice, also known as double jeopardy clause. There's a right to a speedy trial by an impartial jury, a right to cross-examine witnesses, right to call witnesses to support the case, right to legal representation, right to avoid self-incrimination, and protection from excessive bail, fines, and cruel and unusual punishments. But those, like, while those are all, like, a part of things that are, or trials that are done at the Supreme Court, a lot of these happen more frequently at the federal appeal courts level. And at the Supreme Court, the jury are more like your justices. And that is going to be a little bit more problematic. 
because rather than having like an impartial jury, these justices, as of recently, have been elected along party lines. And that can lead to some issues in determining a more of a biased take on evidence that is presented in a trial at the Supreme Court. So relatively speaking, the Supreme Court is not really in line with the judicial process, and it is somewhat separate from what is outlined in the Bill of Rights. And we're going to take this back for a minute. Back in episode 25, we discussed how the Supreme Court was likely unbiased due to recent rulings on transgender discrimination and the overturning of the 2020 election. However, the recent events may indicate that things have changed in a bit of a hurry. And this is going to help us to explain really what the Supreme Court does. In 2021, Justice Amy Coney Barrett made a statement at the University of Louisville. Shout out to Nats of 2022. That judicial processes are different from political parties. Justice Barrett is correct. A judicial process is incredibly different from a political party. You're not supposed to be voting along beliefs of Republicans or Democrats. These decisions are supposed to be impartial, but... Barrett also voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, which is was done on a party line basis in the Supreme Court. So that kind of diminishes the idea of the impartial jury or the impartial justices in this instance. However, political motives may have affected the court in this in its last term. The six justices who voted to overturn Roe v. Wade alluded that Roe was settled in its original decision. But it isn't just Roe v. Wade. Supreme Court rulings on recent gun rights, environmental laws, and more may indicate that the highest court of the land may be pushing a conservative agenda. Some liberals and progressives are arguing that this also isn't the end of recent rulings either. After Justice Clarence Thomas made arguments that contraception and same-sex marriage should be overturned as well, it only helps make the liberals and progressive arguments cases. But once again, this is a podcast of both sides. And to make it fair, there is a bit of an argument to be made that sometimes stare decisis should be overturned, as the leaked draft by Justice Samuel Alito pointed out. Stare decisis, just to define, is following along with recent rulings that have occurred in the past, like Roe versus Wade. You're supposed to stay in line with previous precedent that has been set. But there are instances in which that should be a, that should occur, in which maybe things have changed over time. And to be fair, that could potentially be true, in which some things have changed to where decisions are vastly different. Obviously, we have a different court. There are not the same people that there were 50 years ago. And that is a somewhat of a fair argument to put on the table. But if, this, if stare decisis is being used to push a conservative agenda over legal precedent, then there's a problem. And the only way to really find out if that is the case is what the court rules on things that were brought up by Justice Thomas, such as contraception and same-sex marriage. So if he believes that they should be overturned without hearing cases prior to that, then it's evident that maybe the Supreme Court is more focused on a conservative agenda setting than it is focused on actually setting legal precedent. So 
it's something that's got to be kept in line. But I guess kind of to bring to the point, the Supreme Court is technically supposed to be impartial in making decisions and not supposed to be voting on things along party lines. It's supposed to be hearing evidence just as similar to everything else as set by as set by original standards in Article 3 of the U.S. Constitution. So that being said, this is the way the Supreme Court works. And right now, it looks with Roe v. Wade and how gun rights and environmental protections have been, it really looks like the Supreme Court is trying to push for a conservative agenda and rather than looking towards legal precedent. And I think that really gets into where you use going with how is the public responding? Yeah. And I guess like to add more to the part just about like how maybe it shouldn't have been ruled under kind of like the right to privacy and it should be ruled under something else. I think I heard it a pod. I forgot what the name of the podcast was, but it was about the Roe v. ruling. And basically they were talking about how Ruth Bader Ginsburg at the time kind of disagreed with the ruling and thought that honestly, it should be ruled under something that is not based on privacy, but it should be ruled based on like no sex discrimination because then it would be less dependent on kind of like the arguments that Alito was making in his leaked decision and also just generally in the majority decision opinion and like more based on other things like other parts of the constitution. I guess a little fun fact for you. I wish I could really link the podcast, but I literally forgot. We'll see if I can find it, but yeah, let's move on. I think most importantly, or at least In my opinion, I think what all of you are waiting for, kind of like the juicy part of this episode, is just like, how did the public respond? How did politics respond? What's going to go on with the Supreme Court in the future? And so I'll talk about that. You know, I'm not sure that it's no surprise that, or I'm sorry, I'm sure that it's no surprise that there have been very emotional and angry responses as well as celebratory responses to the Supreme Court decision. So people who are pro-life celebrated the decision saying things like, I am the post-Roe generation. Some responses have been based on religious reasons to oppose abortion and also making claims that the fetus is a living person and you shouldn't kind of endorse abortion or like support abortion because then it would be more, more, sorry, murder. I can't talk today. But there are also people who are pro-choice. And like, I think the majority of Americans are generally pro-choice. I want to make that like, I think that's the right statistic. But they were horrified and outraged by the decision. Celebrities and artists started speaking out. Jane Fonda tweeted that we should define vaginas as AR-15s because they seem to have more rights than women do. Of course, mixed reception to that tweet, but do with that what you will. Olivia Rodrigo also sung the FU song at her performance when she was on tour. Halsey and Kendrick Lamar also spoke out about this decision at their concerts too, mainly sticking up for women's rights and saying that reproductive health is healthcare and saying that women should be able to choose or people who get pregnant should be able to choose what they want to do with their bodies. Outrage at the decision also resulted in protests everywhere in the U.S., but especially at the Supreme Court. I'm in D.C. right now, saw many of the protests that were happening in the Supreme Court. I was getting multiple emails about how like it was the street in front of the Supreme Court was shut down because of the protests that were happening. And that's been kind of like ongoing throughout the week and like throughout last week and throughout this week as well. But 
Yeah. There are also protests at Capitol buildings, both at like state Capitol buildings and national Capitol buildings, like our Capitol building. But there are other places where protests have happened too, even on the streets. So protests on both sides actually happened prior to and after the Roe v. Wade decision. So before the Supreme Court made their decision, pro-lifers were standing outside of the or yeah of the Supreme Court, basically saying things like like overturn Roe and the post-Roe generation and chanting those types of slogans. But after the decision was made, you can also know that like pro-choice protesters happened in front of the Supreme Court too, and everywhere else, obviously. So the there are protests that have like turned violent, but they haven't really been on the end of the protester side, meaning like there haven't been like fights among protesters physically as much as you've seen kind of like the, sorry, as much as, or not as much as you've seen from the authority side and like violence from that end. But another thing that has been happening though, that is less like protests and violence is that there have been a record number of men going to get vasectomies to show solidarity with those against the Roe v. Wade ruling. We should also talk about the responses from hospitals and clinics after the decision was made. So prior to 13 states already had trigger laws in place. Among those was Wyoming, which means that once the Supreme Court overturned Roe, the abortion bans almost immediately took effect. And I say almost immediately because some of those trigger states, those abortion bans that they had in place immediately went into effect. But for other states, there were legislation still on the table or at least still needed a, like, a little bit more time before it can be fully enacted. So in Wyoming, we are one of those states that our trigger laws are going to take a while before they kind of like implement, but it will kind of like implement is what the vibe seems to be. But other things have also happened for these abortion clinics too. In Wyoming, the soon-to-be-open Wellsprings Health Access Clinic was set on fire. So this was not that an electricity incident happened or anything like that. Officials kind of know that it's like arson and have found evidence that it is arson. But many other abortion clinics and also workers in those clinics in states that don't support abortions have also faced harassment and violence as well. But in the states that have trigger laws and in the states that banned abortion, clinics and hospitals immediately stopped administering abortion treatments and services, even for those that were in need of an abortion because of risk and because of health factors. So the ramifications of that was shown with a text message that has been going around. And I'm sure if you're on Instagram or if you're on like Snapchat or TikTok or any of that, you'll probably have seen this text. But it's a nurse from a state with trigger laws in place. And what the nurse basically said was that they saw a patient who had an ectopic pregnancy that ruptured and that patient needed immediate action. But it took nine hours for the doctors to talk to their lawyer to figure out what they could do without losing their medical license. But obviously, a pregnancy that ruptured, taking nine hours before any action is taken has a lot of health risks. So the patient lost 600 cc's of blood and almost died because immediate action couldn't be taken. And people know that this is not going to be the last case where patients are at risk or are going to have to wait before doctors can do anything for them or to treat them. On top of that, pharmacies in places like Walmart, CVS, and even Amazon have limited the amount of contraceptives that customers can purchase to account for the sudden demand fluctuation and to ensure that everyone can have access to the supply they currently have before they can get more. However, I guess like a little bit on the bright side, depending on what side you're on, judges in Utah and Louisiana did block the trigger laws in their state from going into effect. Again, this block is only temporary and they can only do so much until the law takes it to effect. But 
With all that happening, this does beg the question of what the political response to Roe v. Wade decision was, because when people are angry, obviously legislators are going to be pushed to do something. So for legislators that supported the ruling, they celebrated the victory and applauded the Supreme Court for ruling in their favor. And they thought that this was like a win for the Republicans. However, not all Republicans or like not all Republican representatives speaking about the issue had very good press about the ruling. So for example, Republican Representative Lauren Bober of Colorado's third district said that she was tired of the separation of church and state, stating that it was not in the constitution that they needed to separate these two powers and that the church should actually be the one telling the state what to do. Other than that, Representative Mary Miller, also a Republican of Illinois, stated that she misspoke at a rally with former President Trump when she said that the Supreme Court ruling was a victory for white life. Her press team said that she meant to say right to life, but was speaking too rushed and said white life. Whether or not that's true is up for grabs and people are just mixed about the issue anyway. But those that have spoken about the issue, not all of them have had great press when they are talking about the vote. On the Democratic side, AOC has been very vocal about what the government should do next, including passing legislation to reform and expand the Supreme Court, impeaching the justices that said they were going to leave Roe alone when they were appointed, but then obviously overturned Roe this week and so showing that they lied. She also supported the decision to like open abortion clinics or not the decision, but she supported the idea of opening abortion clinics on federal land, specifically in red states and codifying Roe, which means making the right to abortion a law. Other Democrats have been pushing for their constituents to vote and to protest in the streets about the decision, mainly saying that like this is why you need to go out and vote in the midterms and vote like Democrat because we are here to protect your rights. Obviously, the reception of that has also been mixed as well, with some people saying that they're tired of Democrats always telling them to vote and have just made them have a lot of grievances about how the Democrats have been dealing with this ruling. Other than that, legislatively, the House has passed the Women's Health Protection Act, which would codify Roe and give women the right to choose what they want to do with their bodies or just like give people what they want, like give people the right to choose what they want to do. This bill is also being filibustered in the Senate, though. That's why it hasn't really like gotten a lot of traction. However, President Biden did say he supports ending the filibuster mm-hmm. to pass that bill and to ensure that these rights are given. There are also court reform bills in the House, like the Judiciary Act of 2020, which would expand the Supreme Court, and the Judicial Ethics and Anti-Corruption Act, which would bar or ban federal, or sorry, ban, I think is the wording that they use, federal judges from owning conflicting, or like from owning conflicting assets with the cases that they're ruling on. However, with all that being said, I feel like we also need to talk about like what's going on with the Supreme Court in terms of what their future is going to look like and what they've already done up to when we're recording this podcast. So the Supreme Court is going after more than just Roe because of Justice Thomas's written opinion, or at least that's what some people think. Some of the cases he spoke of would mean that the court would reconsider access to contraception, condoms included, same-sex marriage, and interracial marriages, which means that Roe v. Wade is more than just a pregnancy or women's issue. It's an issue for everyone, especially minorities and marginalized groups. The Supreme Court has also, uh, to show, I guess, that the Supreme Court has 
seem like they've overstepped in their decision-making, kind of the cases that they're going for, has ruled against the EPA and the West Virginia v. EPA, which prohibits EPA's authority over making energy companies switch over to renewable energy options, saying it was a power that wasn't authorized by Congress in the Clean Air Act. So I would say that like, I would think the Supreme Court is losing its legitimacy just personally, but we'll obviously try to say that, like, no, and try to, like, provide that bit, too, because this is a fairly open-ended question or what NSDA would consider, like, an open-ended question. But in terms of kind of saying that, like, the Supreme Court is losing its legitimacy, obviously you have, like, legislative people, like, Congressman AOC, who does think that the Supreme Court is losing its legitimacy because of their overstep in this decision, which just means that, like, because the Supreme Court decided that they could overturn a precedent that was established for like 60 years or so, that the Supreme Court has kind of overstepped their boundaries by overturning Roe v. Wade, but also taking the rights away from people to kind of choose what they want to do with their bodies. And I know, like, Spencer said, we're going to talk about this as like a two separate things happening at once. But I also, then again, kind of disagree with him. I think that like this decision, the ramifications of this decision is that it does take the right to choose for the women and for people who get pregnant away from them because it allows states to enact abortion bans. It allows states to kind of take away that right from people. And not only that, but it's not just about abortion. It seems like this could be just kind of like a snowball with all of the other decisions that were based off of Roe. This is why you have Thomas saying in his opinion that because we reconsidered Roe, we also need to reconsider these cases, which in part is kind of like semi-connected or connected to Roe. And so in that sense, the Supreme Court is losing its legitimacy because it is exerting too much power over what they should have in the first place. And I think on Stephen Colbert's show, AOC basically just said that like, because the Supreme Court is like using so much power and the three branches are supposed to be equal. I mean, like, remember from your AP Gov class or just general Gov class that there should be like a separation of powers, but they're equal powers. Basically talking about that and how this just shows with recent Supreme Court rulings Roe, EPA, gun legislation, prayer, things like that, it seems like the Supreme Court is overstepping in what they are supposed to do and kind of basing decisions on things that just don't seem like they can be like backed up legislatively or judicially. And I also think like another important part to this answer or like another important argument to this answer is that you do have a 6-3 court and I know like throw back to the Supreme Court episode or not like the Supreme Court episode but it's just the episode where we talk about the Supreme Court. I know you had Spencer and I say that yes it is like a 6-3 majority and yes Supreme Court justices are supposed to like vote not based off of their personal beliefs or based on their party lines are supposed to vote judicially. Recent turn of events, or not like recent turn of events, but kind of just like more recent turn of events has proven this to be untrue more so than like past actions have, especially when the Supreme Court is getting so much attention on it. And just people are losing faith in the Supreme Court because of all the decisions that they have been able to make and how those decisions kind of align with the conservative agenda. 
in that sense, or the conservative party's agenda in that sense. But I would also say, like, you can see that their legitimacy seems to be decreasing in the public's opinion, where they are pushing for judicial reform. They are pushing for expanding the court and rebalancing the court and basically making the court fair again. And like, action and push to do that kind of shows that people's opinion of the court isn't that high right now in terms of like some of the Americans right now. So hot take to start. I would make the argument that separation of powers probably were busted in the first years of the constitution, but that's also a political science answer. So pushing that away. I like this question, by the way, I came up with both of these questions at Spencer Travis, one, two, three, follow me on Instagram. But the, I like this question because there is a, there is a, actually some good answers to it. I think reasonably speaking, the answer is very much yes at this current state. There's really not much to add from you use yes answer there. It's evident that it's like, there's some things that are showing that it's maybe being a little bit more impartial, right? Or not impartial, but it, it's being not impartial and it's being biased. And that is something that is very important and problematic to hit on this though. Obviously Congress can expand, but at the end of the day, even Biden supported against that. I think more reasonably speaking, what Congress is going to probably do is go for impeachment. And I think that they would, that would be something that they can do, but Once again, impeachment is a process that they can't really be removed unless if it goes to the Senate and then you have another problem within that. So I think that reasonably under you use yes answer, that's probably the best way to take it. I think there is some ground to a no on this, though. And I actually think there's a lot of ground on a no. Like what you you mentioned, there have been I mean, we've had a 6-3 court for a long time now. And it, it's really like liberals haven't really gained a lot in this court over time. A lot of Republican nominations have gone into the Supreme Court over at least since Bush. So it's been it's been a bit. Hey, this has been a lean conservative court for a while. And that kind of starts a very good argument of, look, like this was maybe just the one thing it's possible that it's not going to happen again. Right. It it puts a very realistic, that puts a realistic argument on that. Admittedly, I think that there are, there are still some instances of this, right. Once again, a a ruling on transgender rights in 2020, I believe that was when it was, there was the 2020 election issue. There was the recent remain in Mexico policy, which was in the Biden administration's favor in this recent term. I also do want to just bring up like a few points to keep in mind. Like, sure, you can say that the Supreme Court isn't losing its legitimacy because like, are they really going to vote to kind of expand the court? Probably not in a Senate that's like 50-50 split right now with like a few Democrats who are iffy about their stance in terms of how to deal with the Supreme Court things like that. So it is likely that the Supreme Court is just going to remain 6-3 for a very long time until one of the justices either retires or passes away. And so that is also something to kind of just keep in mind. But I will say that when you are answering this question, 
at least I would give you the advice of trying to talk less about abortion rights and talk more about the Supreme Court, because I think there's been a reason why talking about abortion rights kind of like in speech and debate has been pretty taboo. It's like not just like in the community, but just like talking about it with judges in rounds. It's because it's like a hot button issue. People get very emotional about it and things like that. I do know that there have been questions that talk about very emotional and sensitive issues, but I feel if you are competing in Wyoming and if you have really strong views like against the Roe v. Wade decision, I would say it is not like a safe decision for you to be talking about that in the round. I think if you are going to answer the question, you should probably just answer the question regarding the Supreme Court and kind of like what they have been doing and how it technically is an overreach and how that delegitimizes the Supreme Court. I would try to stay away from like talking about abortion rights. That is not to say that like you shouldn't talk about this at all, because I do think that you should be vocal about it and you should talk about it. But I do think if you do talk about it, you do run some risks. And that's something that you should keep in mind, especially if you're trying to be competitive, which is an unfortunate reality of the speech and debate community at the moment. But do with that what you will. Is what I'm gonna leave it at. Yeah, I don't disagree. Be be careful. Like obviously the three things like at work, I've always been told three things you don't talk with customers about are politics, religion, and abortion, right? Those are the like the most hot button of anything. And you do that in extemp anyway, right? But at the end of the day, this is maybe one of the hottest of hot. So be careful on abortion. It at the end of the like, this is a good question because it makes you not take an abortion answer necessarily, but you have to look at several different things that have happened, right? So you have to look at abortion rights. You have to look at, you could talk about the football coach and prayer. You can talk about the EPA. You can talk about, there are so many different, like there are so many different elements to this that you would have to include in your speech. And if you were to take that no answer, obviously you have transgender rights. You have, I mean, I don't know if the court was six to three when the same-sex marriage one happened, but it probably wasn't. Um, top, but yeah, but th- there's a there's a very fair there's a very fair no argument to this, and th- this is a good question because it it really is. It, it's it, I think the truth is we don't know, and that's why this is a good question: is do you think it is or do you think it isn't? Because mm-hmm. the only way we can know if it's losing its legitimacy is as we've mentioned already, what do they rule on contraception? What do they rule on same-sex marriage? And once those rulings come out, or once those rulings maybe, once those get to the Supreme Court and then they become a ruling, we'll know. So there's there's reason to believe that the Supreme Court won't go that far, but there's also reason to believe that the Supreme Court will go that far. There is no middle ground on that. There is, we don't really know. Yeah. I mean, like in reality, it's either they go for it or they don't. And like, we will see in terms of the cases that they're going to decide on in the future. And I also want to clarify that like, even if you are for the Roe v. Wade ruling, you should also try to avoid talking about abortion rights in your speech because you could definitely have a judge that is pro-choice and that would really look poorly on you. But then again, just a warning, not here to tell you what you can or can't do in your speeches, but 
just something to think about. All right, next question. You ready, Yu Yu? Yeah. So the next question is: Should U.S. Supreme Court justices be elected? Spencer, what are your thoughts? Hell no. I think that this is a terrible idea. I actually think that this has a good yes and no as well. But I think that my honest belief is a no. Understanding that I'm going to try not to do as much political theory because I've done a lot of that in recent episodes. And I've been editing some of them and trying to get rid of a lot of that. But I guess the real real point here is that the people that vote are the most polarizing and the most passionate. So if anything, if we think the Supreme Court is extreme now, it'll only become more extreme that way. And people who are not qualified to be judges or justices can, in fact, be elected, right? Like, I don't think we would want, and this could be a, like, I mean, I would really hope that, like, conservatives agree with me on this, but I don't think Donald Trump would be qualified to be on the Supreme Court. I just don't think so. And that that would probably not be something you'd have to have, like, some kind of conditions, right, to be on there and kind of similar to rules for being a congressperson or running for president. I would think that there would be some kind of conditions if this was to occur. But generally speaking, I think this could actually be more polarizing, if anything, and we would definitely not have impartial. I don't think we would have impartial judges. That would be a big issue. I think where this can be a yes is you if you understand like a different type of system. I actually very much like how Wyoming deals with its Supreme Court justices. As if you don't know, Wyoming Wyoming's judges are actually continuously voted in or out by by its voters. So essentially what happens is whenever there's a open Wyoming Supreme Court justice seat, the governor is given like a list of two two or three people, it might be a little bit more, about people who could possibly fill that seat. He appoints them to that seat and the public continues to vote them in. Okay, So if they agree that they like this person and what they have done, they can vote to keep them in or kick them out, right? So if the U.S. was to establish something on that level, right, something that's established in the Wyoming Constitution, then... I actually think that that would be good because you can have an instance like what has happened and the public on their ballot would be, would you like to keep Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett? Would you like to keep Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas? Yes or no. And if they, if the public votes them to be kicked out, then the Senate has to appoint a new Supreme Court justice. And that cycle actually keeps the Supreme Court in check. I think that if you were to do something along those lines, that would be very good. Is that what's going to happen? No. But is that how it could be a good way to elect Supreme Court justices? Yes. So I've always liked Wyoming's system on electing justices, but that's my take on it. I think that relatively speaking, though, this is definitely a no for me. But if we were to implement something that makes sense... I'd vote yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think like personally, I don't really have an opinion on this just because like I haven't done that much research into this in terms of like how we should, you know, consider reforming the Supreme Court or like keeping the Supreme Court more in check and like the solutions that we can use to do that. And 
that's just because I don't know. I feel like what I know about the Supreme Court has just been like what I've known about the Supreme Court. But I definitely am like interested in looking at how the solutions that Congress are going to approach and like use to kind of like keep a check on the Supreme Court is going to fare out and how that's going to turn out. But in terms of like answering this question, though, should you Supreme Court justices be elected? I think you can go obviously both ways, like Spencer said. I think you can say that like, yes, Supreme Court justices should be subject to public opinion because kind of the majority of what people have said about the Supreme Court kind of ruling on these decisions is that it is a 6-3, which means that it is a leadership of the minority, basically, is like the term that I've heard being used to describe the Supreme Court, because these justices were elected by a party that hasn't won kind of like the popular vote in a very long, long time. Or like if you look at the history of the GOP and kind of like which popular votes they have won, it hasn't been many, like just recently. But I would also say that like people would probably want to elect their Supreme Court justices as a way to kind of like balance it out or to make it a court where it is deciding with public opinion instead of just like deciding among nine people who are chosen maybe by your party or maybe not by the popular party and things like that. And that has been like an argument that has been thrown around in order to like support the idea of electing your justices, or at least to the extent that if you are electing your justices, it will be a court that represents the popular opinion. Whether or not that's a good idea or not will depend on like who you ask and the reasoning and like how that's being achieved to make it a court of popular opinion. Another thing to take note of though, on the no side is that if you're going to go like the constitution route, that's not what the like framers intended it to be. They wanted a court that is separate from public opinion that can decide with their own decisions and they're like qualified enough people to make those decisions and to like rule based on the constitution, based on law and based on what like Congress has enacted into law and things like that. And the reasoning behind that is just that like if Congress is already passing things that people want and is like good for the population, then the Supreme Court doesn't really need to like make a decision of whether or not this law should be passed or not, but they're basically making a decision about what this law entails on the judicial level and things like that. And that's like I guess more AP checks and balances talk for you. But I would also say that, like, I think people who would say no to this question would just basically say that it could be just generally a bad idea, because why would you want justices voted onto the court when we don't really have voters who kind of like pay attention, I guess, sometimes to the credentials of the people that they're voting for. Some voters just vote for the incumbent and other voters don't really like take a look at kind of what the history of this person is or like what the history of this person politically is or like the credentials or what they have voted on or have not voted on or like have ruled and have not ruled and why they ruled that way. And like, it's understandable. And it's not that like all voters do this. It's just an idea of how like the voting diaspora or like the voting population tends to be in terms of like dealing with elections and things like that. And I'm not saying that the majority of people don't pay attention or like they don't care at all and they don't look at this information. I'm pretty sure they do. It's just like you will have some people who don't. And do you really want to elect justices onto a court 
that will vote on your rights and like will vote on what laws can and can't do and things like that or like what jurisdiction federal government has over state government and things like that I don't really I don't necessarily know if I believe this or not then again just a clarification I haven't done that much research into it it's just giving you kind of like both possible arguments that you can make on like either side yeah and then I would also say that like in terms of this question, should Supreme Court justices be elected? I guess another question that you could tackle within this question, I'm not sure if it's a smart idea though, is the idea of like, if the Supreme Court should be able to do what they're doing, right? Or like maybe look at judicial reform, but not necessarily electing judges onto the court, maybe just like expanding it and things like that. And there's argument for just like expansion, as like we've done historically, it all hasn't always been nine. It's just been nine for like as far as we can remember. And they've definitely expanded the court since the beginning of the United States. I think you actually bring up a pretty good point on it's not what the framers intended with the Constitution. That's a good no answer. And obviously to it, further on that, the only way you can really do you can make that happen is to amend you would have to physically amend the constitution. That is a very hard and long process because I, I know to amend the constitution, you can have two thirds of states to do that. I don't, I don't remember how many it takes in Congress off the top of my head. It might be 75%. I know it's a lot. So it's, it's quite a bit and it's really, it, it is a tough thing to do, which can make a pretty obvious no answer. I might do a quick double check on uh, how much that is. Basically what Spencer is saying is that not with this Congress. Yeah, It's not, this is not a reasonable thing that uh, that's a, yeah, that's a point that I'm making, but it's not a reasonable thing with this Congress. I mean, truthfully though, the question is, should they, which means that that doesn't matter. It wouldn't matter what kind of Congress we had, but the problem is, is it's a very hard process. And the likelihood of it occurring is probably good enough for a no answer. I don't have anything else. Do you feel anything? I don't think I have anything else to add either. So I hope you get the one in the round. Clapping Multiple claps instead of one clap. Anyway. Let's do a one clap. Ready? Three, two, one. That was so great. Good. I hope that actually caught on camera though behind each other. Anyway, I hope you get the one in the round. If you don't get the one in the round, let us know how you did. Let us know how we did. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please let us know on our Instagram. We are available at the handles that are listed, but we are also available at the Half Hour Extent Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure to follow us. Make sure to keep us or keep posted on our social media. We'll do better this year. I promise we will actually post things. But if you have not already subscribed to our YouTube channel, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. It really helps us a lot. It helps out the channel. And yeah, it helps us create better content for you. If you subscribe, hit the bell so that you are notified. Never miss an episode. Blah, 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 whatever the YouTubers say. And comment anything if you would like to let us know anything. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or anything like that, feel free to put them on our YouTube channel too. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've done this, so I kind of forgot what I said. So thank you for tuning into this episode. Thank you so much for your support. As you can tell, our summer episodes have been like very staggered and it's because of the season, but whatever. Let us know.
let us know more about what your awesome videos with me on LinkedIn. Link is in the description. Thank you. Thank you all so much for watching. And until next time, I will see you all later.